Hey, it's good to be here. Uh, like Louis said, my name is Luke. I live in Chicago. Uh, before that, I lived in Mexico City. I get to—I have the amazing uh, privilege as a pastor to serve with a number of churches um, all over the world and and get to know them a little bit better and and help them in their first few years of of life as churches. Um, I actually chair what we call our management team for this church. It's kind of like the board, and what we found out is whenever you start a new church in a city, in a great city like Cape Town, you still have to have someone who's praying for and helping and holding accountable and serving the the pastor before you know who all the local leaders are going to be. And so that management team helps to do some of that as we get started here. What are we, a year and a half old, something like that with Prodeo? And let me just say this. I've only been to Prodeo a few times, but it already feels like home. It really does. I love Prodeo. I love visiting. And the reason is this, is there's this common language. If I'm in Nigeria, if I'm in Chicago, if I'm in Mexico, if I'm in Cape Town, there's a common language among Christians that's really beautiful. And then it's even more emphasized, I think, uh, there's a common language among new churches that are trying to get started, that are pouring their lives in to, to seeing their cities understand and know who Jesus is. And this is an exciting thing, and so I feel at home here, even though I only get to visit a couple times a year. So thank you for having me. Um, When I was preparing today for this message, it made me think of actually a story of of me and my wife. We've been married for 18 years. Can you believe that? 18 years uh, in August. Yeah, we celebrated our 18th anniversary. Uh, When we had been married about two years, we wanted to go on holiday. And we had only, we went on a honeymoon and then we didn't do any other holiday really together for a couple of years. We were serving at the time in Mexico City with a church there. And we had read about um, these other, these like resort towns and villages around Mexico that were beautiful along the coastline. I don't know if you've heard of them all the way on this side of the world. We had heard about these, that you could drive from Mexico City to one of these resort towns and, and experience a beautiful beach holiday, right? So we thought, let's do that. Let's go on holiday together. And so we began researching online uh, where to go for our holiday. And I got to tell you, in 2003, the internet was not what it is, it wasn't what it is today, right? So we found this website called TripAdvisor. It was brand new in 2003, and there were about seven reviews on the whole website. But one of them talked about a place on the coast drivable for us from Mexico City, and this is, I actually went online and found the review, believe it or not. So I want to read, read to you a couple of the things that this reviewer said about, if I can find it in my notes here, about this, re, uh, this resort. The person said, this is a wonderful place. This is a quote. This is a wonderful place of escape and retreat. Beautiful accommodation in a beach paradise. Oh, yeah. We, we, I think we found it, right? We had been researching. This sounds like the kind of place that we want to go, that we want to visit. And so we followed the link to the hotel website, and I used this, this online, this website just in the last couple of weeks. Have you heard of the Wayback Machine? It's this website that takes pictures of web pages through all of, all of the Internet's history. So I went to 2003, found the website that we visited for this resort that time, and, and I found what we read in 2003, okay? So this is, this is the resort website in 2003. It read, White sands, tropical sea life, in crystal clear waters. That sounds good. This sounds good. The soothing sound of the waves breaking on the point, waken to surf and birdsong, and finish the day with spectacular glowing sunsets. 
Treat yourself to the experience of a true tropical getaway, right? This is the vacation. This is the holiday that we want. You you know what I mean? Have you ever wanted to go on a holiday and you prepare and you plan and you research and you Google and you ask your friends and you look for the experts' advice? That's what we were doing. We found the place and we thought, but we want good food to eat too. So we read this about the restaurant at the resort. It said this, Our seaside restaurant is one of the most romantic spots in the world. Sweeping 280-degree view of the beautiful bay. This was it. We booked our our stay. We made our trip. We drove there. It was about a six-hour drive. We arrived, and and we had looked forward to uh, sitting under a beach cabana on the beach and uh, looking out over the bay. I actually have a photo here. I think Gavin's going to put it up for us. Yes, this is a photo from the website. This is a famous reef off of this um, beach right here called King's Reef. They, they have these beautiful beach cabanas. However, when we actually arrived at our room, this is what our room looked like. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not good either, right? It's not good. And actually, they took a photo of this side of the room because there wasn't another side of the room. This was a hut on the beach, and the other side was just a mosquito net, like floating. You could just walk out, and, and, and we were promised our own private suite on the beach with our own private veranda and our own private bathroom. Really, the bathroom was a separate building. You had to go down a jungle path on, on the sand to a tiny little room with a sink and a shower and, and, uh, and a toilet there to go to the bathroom, to go to the toilet. And, and we thought, this is not what we were promised, right? We were promised to see seaside life and fish, tropical fish and tropical birds, and actually this is the first wildlife that we saw. The very first animal that we saw was that. That is real. That is real. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, this, this thing looks like it's, a, it's like a cross between a spider and something from the alien movies. People think that I photoshopped this. I didn't. That is real. That's a photograph of a spider. They live in Central and South America. This was on the wall in our bathroom while we were brushing our teeth. Yeah, you can change it so we don't have to look at that anymore. This is the point. All of us, at one time or another, you, me, men, women, young, old, Christians, non-Christians, it doesn't matter, all of us have been searching for guidance at one time or another. Isn't that true? All of us, whether it's something so, so simple as, as looking for guidance about a holiday or something much, much deeper, looking for guidance about, about a job or about a relationship, about a career, about what to study in university, all kinds of things. All of us have searched for guidance. Perhaps some of you right now, today, really would love some guidance about an important decision in your life, right? Doesn't this ring true? We want guidance, and and, and all of us have looked for guidance, and we've looked to the experts only to be disappointed, right? All of us have seen the adverts, watched the commercials, read the brochures, and then we actually try the product, and it doesn't live up to the promise. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, we've all done this. We all want guidance, and we don't want just any guidance. We want truthful guidance. We want guidance that actually leads to the conclusion that we have in mind, that we have in our heart. That's the guidance that we're looking for. We, we want some kind of guidance, some steady hand at the wheel, really. 
Psalm 23 is what we're studying or what we're reading today. Uh, Perhaps you've read some of the book of Psalms in the Bible. The book of Psalms has 150 poems, 150 songs. Psalm just means song or poem. And we're going to read Psalm 23, which is one of the most famous songs in this whole book. Maybe you've heard it. Occasionally, I would receive a greeting card from my grandma that would have the first few verses of Psalm 23 on it, right? So we're going to read Psalm 23. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, you can look there. We're also going to put it up on the screen, Psalm 23. Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a famous psalm. Have you heard it before? Yeah, some of you, many of you. This is a famous, famous song, a famous prayer to God. And listen, more than anything else, it is a picture of guidance. This is a picture of what good guidance looks like. Do you see? This is a picture of what good guidance, not the kind of guidance that leads you to the beach and then you discover this isn't what you really had in mind. No, no, no. This is a picture of good guidance. And, and, and to, to unpack all of this, we need to see that just like any good song, the psalmist the songwriter uses metaphor. You guys love music, right? I, I listen to music. We all listen to music. All the great songwriters, all the great poets throughout history use metaphors, right? So uh, Shakespeare didn't just say, you're great. No, no, no. What did he say? He said, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Do you remember? Right? He knows what he's talking about. He, he uses metaphor, The psalmist is a great songwriter. King David was a great songwriter, and he uses metaphor. And in this psalm, there are four metaphors, two about God and two about life, two about God. He he, he compares God to a shepherd and to a generous host, right? And two about life. He says that life is good. It can be like green pastures. And frankly, sometimes life is bad. It can be like darkest valleys, four metaphors. There is so much in here that we could spend a long, long time just unpacking each one of these metaphors, but we don't have a long, long time. So we're just going to look at this as a, as a psalm of guidance, and we're going to look at two things, right? The kind of guidance that is in Psalm 23 shows us guidance that leads to beauty, point one. Guidance that leads to beauty and rest. Did you notice that when we read it? And point two, there is guidance that is sufficient in darkness. Don't miss that. Guidance that is sufficient for darkness. Guidance that leads to beauty and guidance that is sufficient for darkness. Uh, first, right away, straight, straight away, what does the psalmist say? He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He has this, he's, he's showing us this kind of guidance that leads to beauty. And then he uses this beautiful metaphor of green pastures, of quiet waters, of, of a still river. And, and you guys, you live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. Can I just say that? It is, it is gorgeous. So, 
I live in, in the city of Chicago, and it is also a very beautiful city. Probably, I, I hope none of my Chicago friends listen to the podcast, probably not as pretty as Cape Town, but it is beautiful. There's this place in Chicago I love to go. It's just sat, it's on the south, southern side of the city, and Chicago is a city that's built right up against Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan is an enormous freshwater lake. It's, it's like an ocean. You, you can't see to the other side, only it's all freshwater, and, and the city is built right up against this lake. And on the south side of the city, there's this park on this peninsula that, that juts out into the middle of the lake. And if you go out to the end of the peninsula, when the sun is going down, you can look back at the skyline of the city, like, and it looks like it's floating on the water. And, and sometimes in the evening, the waters are still and quiet, and so still that there's like a, a little fog, a thin layer of fog over the water. I mean, it is breathtakingly beautiful. And in this, this scene, this picture that I love to see, I've only seen it a couple of times. I, I, I go out there and I'm, I'm like, I hope it'll be a night like that one night. You know what I'm talking about? And the weather is just right. It's so spectacular and so beautiful that it doesn't, it doesn't, it ceases to be merely a physical experience of beauty. It actually begins to feel like my soul is being refreshed. Do you know what I'm talking about? That kind of natural scene? You must know, you live in Cape Town right? That's what the psalmist is saying. He says, walking with God is so, it can be the kind of guidance that is so magnificent that it it begins to be not just something that we experience with our eyes and our ears and our bodies. No, no, no. It's something that actually refreshes our spirits. It transcends the merely physical. Imagine, does that kind of guidance sound good to you? It sounds good to me. It sounds good to me. I want to go there. <laughs> I want to go to verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 23. You know, there's a, I have family that live in the city of San Francisco. Uh, as you know, San Francisco is known for all of its tech startups right now. So many, so many companies are based there, Google and Facebook and, or around there, um, Twitter, others. There's another startup in San Francisco that is, is beginning right now, and it's a startup of a different kind. It's not a tech startup. It's actually kind of a social psychology startup. It sounds strange, but they design new rituals for people, rituals, uh, practices. It's, it's strange, I know. But what they've said is, we have identified that many people in the world today, they're so busy and so caught up with all these little glowing rectangles that they carry around all the time that they're disconnected from any meaningful ritual in their life, from like meaningful practices. They're disconnected from their histories and from, from religion and all kinds of things. So they, we're just going to make new rituals for people. And so they, they've made a ritual on Market Street in San Francisco. Imagine a very busy pedestrian street, something like the promenade at Sea Point, where just people are there every evening. They built a small room, and they called this the wish ritual. You could, you could go into this little room, and you could get a marker and a tag and write your wish on a, on a piece of paper and stick it up on the wall, and they had pretty music playing and a fog machine, and it was beautiful right? It sounds a little bit silly, but, but then they posted a lot of the things that people had written in the wish ritual online, and I read through some of them. I loved, I'd love to read some of them for you today. Is that okay? Because I thought, what a silly idea. Just make up a new, uh, a new um, ritual and, and think that it's meaningful, but actually, a lot of the things that people wrote were pretty profound. One person said, I wish the world 
would just slow down a little bit more. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever wished that? I have. Somebody else said, I wish that people were kind and compassionate to me. Somebody else said, I wish I had all good thoughts. What a great thing to wish. Are you ever tired of the bad thoughts that you have? Somebody else said, I wish for strength. Someone else said simply, I wish I could find direction. Somebody summarized almost all of them by simply saying, I wish I had peace in my heart. I wish I had peace in my heart. Now listen, if some silly wish ritual built on Market Street in San Francisco can, can help people to, to express what's really in their hearts, what are these people saying? What are all these wishes getting at? What do they want? They want Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3. That's what they're after. And the fact that they're wishing for it tells us they don't have it. They don't have it. They want guidance. They're searching for guidance in their life, something better, someone better, a, a steady hand at the wheel, someone besides them. And this is the picture of Psalm 23, this picture of the God of the Bible, the one true God, the God who is committed to his people, the God who, whose guidance leads to beauty and to rest. Don't you want that? I want that. The guidance doesn't stop there, does it? Verse 4 comes. Verses 1 through 3 are so beautiful. And then we have verse 4. How does it begin? How does verse 4 begin? Do you remember? You can put it up on the screen. There it is. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. Now, this might sound strange, but this is one of my favorite things about the Christian faith, is the beginning of verse 4. What do I mean by that? I'm not the only Christian who has said that throughout the ages. Many Christians have said, this is such a magnificent, a magnificent thing about the Christian faith, is, is simply that it is not trying to sell us something. Do You see, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or the darkest valley, right? It's, it's telling us the way life really is. Have you experienced a dark valley in your life ever? I have. If you haven't, I, I think you're lying. If you haven't, you will, right? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, Christianity, the Bible, is honest with us. When my wife and I were making that holiday, all of our holiday plans, we heard about the sand, we heard about the beach, we heard about the coral reef, we heard about the beautiful birds and fish. Nobody told us about the toilet and the spider, right? The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible is honest with us. It says life can be like green pastures, but life also has dark valleys. Life also has dark valleys. Many of you, most of you perhaps, I don't know, I don't know you well, many of you have experienced or are experiencing right now dark valley. Many of you have experienced trauma in your life. I mean, darkest valleys, 
The, the fact that some of the translations of the Bible go so far as to say a valley that's like the shadow of death. Imagine that kind of darkness. The Bible tells us the truth. It says these things happen. There, there are as many kinds of dark valleys as there are people probably in the world. But I want to share briefly three kinds of darkest valleys, um, knowing that there are many, many others. One is the valley of the ordinary. Valley of the ordinary. Uh, when I first moved to Mexico City, I was young. I was like 21, 22 years old. I had studied uh, theology and Bible at a seminary, and I had this really high view of going out somewhere in the world and working for a church. I had it, Maybe it sounds silly. I don't know. I'm just telling you what I thought at that time. I had this high view of, of what a missionary was, and it, it was kind of a heroic view, right? And then I got to Mexico City, and learning Spanish was really hard, and every day just didn't feel very heroic. <laughs> it just kind of felt ordinary. It was pretty difficult. Nobody was writing books about me, okay? It was an ordinary kind of life, right? The valley of the ordinary. Now, I think the valley of the ordinary is not, is not limited to Christian missions, of course. Perhaps you've had a dream or an ambition, something that you desire, a job, um, a, a career path, a university, a, a relationship, a person. I don't know. There can be a million things, right? You've had this dream. Have you ever had a dream? And perhaps you've actually achieved the dream. Some of us have achieved one or more of our dreams. We, we got the job. We made it into the university. We passed the exams. Right? Whatever it is, we found the relationship. And then what? The valley of the ordinary. Just, it just it kind of starts to feel normal. It kind of starts to feel ordinary. And the valley of the ordinary teaches us something. The Bible talks about it. It teaches us that no thing, no career, no person, no job, no whatever can give us what we most desperately need. We need guidance that's, that's better than that, that transcends any other thing. And so the valley of the ordinary, if we receive it from God the right way, we actually learn from it. I can't have what I most desperately need from a relationship, from a job, from a whatever, right? There's, there are other kinds of uh, valleys. One is the valley of loss. The valley of loss. You know, my wife and I, we lost actually a, a, a pregnancy, a, a baby, years ago, and it was incredibly challenging. The valley of loss, all of us. All of us. So we, I see in this room we've got a lot of younger people. All of us, if you haven't yet, you will experience loss. 100% of humans <laughs> will walk through the valley of loss. There's the valley of waiting. Have you ever had the valley of waiting? You're just like, I'm tired of waiting. I don't like to wait in line at the bank, let alone wait for something really serious right? Something that I've been praying about and desiring for years, perhaps. The valley of waiting. The valley of waiting can feel, like, can feel like silence from God. So many ways that we experience darkest valleys. Yet, what else do we notice? You can put verses 4 through 6 back up there. What else do we notice about this darkest valley? Astonishingly, the psalmist, the songwriter, is comforted. 
Imagine, he's comforted in the darkest valley. How is this possible? How is he comforted? Now, in verses 1 through 3, he, he talks about God. Do you remember? The Lord is my shepherd. He, 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 he leads me beside still waters. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He's talking about God. He's extolling about God. And then here in the darkest valley, he is comforted. Why? Because he starts talking to God. There's a difference. The pronoun changes. He says, you. Look at it. You are with me. <laughs> this This is something that is unlike any other faith, unlike any other philosophy that's out there in the world. Look for it. I dare you. You will not find it. This is the Christian message. This this God, the almighty creator, the God of of the universe, the king of kings, right? He, that God, is with us in the dark valley. So the psalmist can turn and say, you are with me. He says, the psalmist says, I don't understand, I don't get it, I'm tired of waiting, whatever it is, but you are with me. Isn't it marvelous? This is the Christian message, the God, the one true God, the God of the Bible, the God who lowers himself. Imagine, he doesn't need to, he has no reason to, other than his profound love for his people. He lowers himself voluntarily into a dark valley so that you or I, if we believe in him, we can turn and say, you're with me. This is the Christian message. This leads us, most of all, to the person of Jesus. Now, When King David wrote this psalm, he didn't know the whole Christian story. He knew some about who God was from from Abraham and from Moses and others who had come before him, but he didn't know all of the Christian story about who Jesus Christ was, right? Because he lived before Jesus. Jesus, God the Son, came to earth, and Jesus looked at Psalm 23, and he said, I am like that. One time, he said, "Um, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And what is he doing? He is building off of Psalm 23. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Remember, there are four metaphors in this psalm, two about God, two about life. The two about God, one is he is the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And then Jesus took it a step further. Psalm 23 is already amazing. Jesus took it a step further and said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, if you were a shepherd in the first century, listening to Jesus talk, and Jesus says a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, you're thinking, nah No, I don't. I love my sheep, but I'm not dying for the sheep. They're sheep, right? That's Jesus' point. He's, he's, he goes, he's so radical. A shepherd dying for his sheep is like the creator God lowering himself into the valley to be with people. It doesn't make sense. It's too radical. That's what Jesus does. He's the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. And remember the other metaphor about God. In the darkest valley, the God of the darkest valley sets a table for the songwriter. And it's a generous table. It's a banqueting table. It's got so much the cup is overflowing right? And it has this picture this, of the ancient world where, where the honored guest, they would anoint his head with oil. We don't do that anymore. 
At least not in Chicago. I don't know. Maybe they do that here. Anoint your head with oil. This is an honored guest. Now, now listen, this is so upside down. The almighty king of kings is not the honored guest. The songwriter is the honored guest. The almighty king of kings is the generous host. Who is this God? I want to know him. I want to follow that one, that guy. The king of kings and the lord of lords, who is a generous host to his people. Have you ever, have you gone to somebody's house, you just love to visit their house because they're such a good host? Do you know what I'm talking about? My mom is a great host. She remembers my favorite breakfast cereal from when I was 12. And still, I'm going to be 40 this year, still when I visit her house, she has it ready for me. She's a good host. Jesus, just like he looked at this, just like he said, I am a good shepherd, Jesus himself, Jesus Christ is a generous host. Now, maybe that sounds strange, but remember, perhaps you don't, remember that Jesus' first miracle, what was it? Anybody remember Jesus' first miracle? You can say it. He turned water into wine. He took wine to a party. That is the job of a host, right? He's a good host. Jesus also said, what did he say? What did he say his job is that he's doing right now? He said, I'm going to heaven now, right? Why? To prepare a place for you. He's the generous host. He is the good shepherd. He is the generous host. This this Jesus, this, he, he fulfills in radical ways Psalm 23 for you and for me, for anyone who would believe, for anyone who would seek guidance from him, for anyone who is tired. Are you tired of looking for guidance in other places? For anyone who is honest and just says, I keep trying to do this myself, I need somebody else. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he is the generous host. I pray, I hope, that you would know him. Because he alone has the kind of guidance that you need. The kind of guidance that leads to beauty. And the kind of guidance that is sufficient in darkness. Let me pray. Lord, we uh, praise you. I praise you for Psalm 23 for preserving it for us for all of these thousands of years so that we can, we can read it now in 2018 together as a church in Cape Town. Lord, I pray, that, yeah, I, I pray for any person who is here tonight who, um, who wants your kind of guidance, who thinks Psalm 23 sounds like the kind of thing that I need. Lord, would you help them Would you guide them into understanding more about who you are? Would you help us as a church to to proclaim your good word about Jesus, about who he is and what he has done and, and why it matters for others? Please lead us, O God, in your good guidance. Amen.
Hi, I'm Louis Skippers, the lead pastor of Prodeo Church, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to this message today. If you felt inspired by it and you would like to see this continue, we would love to get some of your support. So follow one of the three links below. There's two for South African donors, one a SnapScan link and one our banking details. Or if you're an international listener, there's also a link for you to follow if you wanted to give. So from my side, thank you again and may God bless you.